0: Welcome to the podcast, With All Your Mind, hosted by me, Rachel Grimm. We're here to help understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. All right, good afternoon, guys. This is Rachel, and this is With All Your Mind. Just an FYI before I even start squeaking out words I've had this like junky throat for a while now, for weeks now, and it just won't go away. I've been blaming it on the weather because I live in Pennsylvania and you can blame pretty much anything on the weather, but we'll see because basically, you know, anything goes anymore. You might have COVID, you might have allergies, you might have COVID and allergies. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is a possibility anymore. Anyway. So today is the first time we're going to break away even just a tiny bit from what we've been doing for the last hmm, five episodes of talking about titles of God and names of God, because this one is still a name for God, but this one is an inappropriate name for God or one that doesn't work well. And it's a newish one. And this one is Daddy God or just Daddy Um, But we're talking specifically about anything that comes from the idea of Abba Father. I am not at all a fan of Daddy God, and usually that's something that I only ever see made fun of online with memes and things about people being disgusted by anybody using the term Daddy God. I have, however, heard people use just Daddy in reference to God and That's a little bit different, but still the same general vein of thought. So, we're gonna talk about that today. Talk about kind of the theology of Daddy God and where it came from, where it comes from biblically, and where it came from culturally, because those are two very different things. And where it comes from biblically is a good thing, where it comes from culturally is a newer thing and is not at all appropriate or accurate. Um, Linguistically or theologically. All right. There we go. Abba Father. (laughs) Becoming Daddy God. (laughs) That's a downhill slope. Uh, One thing led to another. Anyway. Okay. So So, Abba Father is a term used in the New Testament. I'd like you to take a second and think, where does that occur in the New Testament? to me, I thought it was all through the New Testament. I thought it was like, you know, used at least 10 times, if not more. And I looked it up and it's like, oh, it's only used three times in the New Testament. The first time is in Mark 14, 36. Second time is Romans eight fifteen, And third time is Galatians 4, 6. So, Rome, uh, Mark, Romans, and Galatians. So, one time a gospel and it's uh, quoting Jesus, and the next two times are Paul writing epistles. So let's talk about Mark first, because that's where Paul is using he's he's using the language from Mark, from the scene in Mark, to talk about something. So Mark fourteen thirty six. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He and his disciples just had the Last Supper. Not that they knew that, uh, except for Jesus. They just had the Last Supper, and then Jesus said, let's go to the garden and pray. And they cross over a valley. They just walk outside of Jerusalem. It's, you know, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, this is really close. If you're standing in Jerusalem, you can just look over and see where the Garden of Gethsemane was. So it would have been like a five-minute five, five minute walk, ten-minute walk. It's, it was really close. And they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, And Jesus tells uh, his disciples to watch and pray, and then he walks away, you know, walks a pace or two or whatever, 10 paces, I forget what it was, but he walks a little bit away and then he gets down on his knees and he starts praying in agony. And it's a really emotional scene, Jesus praying to God, God the Father, and he says, this is verse 36 in Mark 14, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And if you know the scene, he does this three times. He goes back to his disciples and he's like, why are you sleeping? And he goes again and prays and then comes back again and they're sleeping again. And on and on, he prays and they sleep. <laughs> he prays and they sleep. And then finally, he just says, just, just sleep, you know, it's fine. And then Judas comes and betrays him to the priests and to the Roman soldiers so Jesus knew this scene was coming he knew he was about to be crucified he knew he was about to be betrayed he knew that there was immense pain and difficulty coming and he's dreading it he, he's straight up dreading it and he says I really don't want to do this and he asks God the Father, if, if you can take this away from me, please take it away. But I don't want to be disobedient. I want to do what you want me to do. And he calls him Abba Father. This is the only time we have recorded that Abba is spoken. The other two times that Abba is in the New Testament is Paul writing a letter to the Romans and to the Galatians, the Roman church and the church in Galatia. So it's not anybody saying Abba, it's just him writing Abba. So this is the one instance that we know we have it quoted, it's in speech. So Paul is using this idea of Jesus saying this. It's it's bringing to mind the scene of the crucifixion, of the whole passion story, of that whole weekend with Jesus about to be crucified. And uh, a couple of articles I read about this say that Christians in the early church would have known this phrase, Abba Father, um, because the story of the crucifixion would have been told with this story in there of Jesus using this phrase when he was praying. How do we know that he used this phrase if all of his disciples were sleeping? Either he told somebody or one of the disciples <laughs> stayed awake just long enough to hear this part or, or something like that. But Mark writes it down for us. So um, I'm going to get into the language later of how we get Abba and what language that is because we have Abba Father, which is basically Father, Father. So I'm going to get into that language part a little bit later. We're going to get into the context of Galatians and Romans first to explain why, why is Paul... Why does Paul care about Abba Father? All right, so in Romans 8.15, we have this. This is what Paul's saying. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba Father. And then in Galatians 4.6, we have, and because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So, in both verses, in both contexts where Paul is talking, he's talking about what we were, what kind of state we were in, what kind of relationship we had to God before we received His Son, and then our relationship and state afterwards. That before we received Jesus, before we received the Holy Spirit of Jesus, we lived in fear and we were enemies of God and we had no part in God. We had no inheritance in God. But then when we received Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of his son, which is the Holy Spirit of Jesus, which allows us to be no longer slaves, but sons and heirs through God. So slavery is gone, fear is gone, and we are sons and heirs. So you can see the stark contrast and think about Jesus in this kind of, he's in the middle of those two things because he is what changes those two things. Jesus was dreading, but he was not afraid. He was a son, and would receive the full rights of a son, and he was not a slave. So when so so Paul is just talking about when we're Christians, we are we are not slaves to sin, we do not need to fear or be slaves to fear, and we belong wholly to God, which is in the familial sense, in a family sense, that we can inherit. We're heirs, which brings us ugh, there's <laughs> to a lot of things. So here are some of the things that it, it eventually, it means. Um, first of all, it's the Holy Spirit that says, Abba, Father. And having the Holy Spirit is the proof of our adoption into God's family, which gives us equal standing with Jesus as a son or daughter of God. Now, what this picture that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was saying, Abba, Father is a trusting son trusting a trustworthy father okay there's two parts to it trusting and being trustworthy and both were true jesus was trusting but he also had somebody good to trust those are the that's the context for abba father the context is of a good trusting relationship between father and son And when we can do it, we can do it through the Holy Spirit who is proof that we have been adopted into the family of God and have that same relationship, right? That's the context. That's the theological what's going on there. It's a lot of good stuff. It's really cool that it shows who we are, whose we are, and what we can do because of it. So let's talk about Abba now because Abba is Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek. So Mark, Romans, and Galatians are all written in Greek. But all through the New Testament, we have little tidbits here and there of things in Aramaic and Hebrew. And you have to keep in mind that the people in the New Testament, unless we're talking about Roman governors or Caesar or, you know, people that clearly weren't um, living in Palestine, in Israel... Um, so the people of Macedonia, the people of Lystra and Derby, the people of Rome, their language was maybe Latin or Greek. But Jesus and his disciples, including Paul, would have spoken Aramaic as their everyday language. But the New Testament was written in Greek. That means that the New Testament... <laughs> is written in a language other than what the people were speaking in their normal day-to-day lives. It would be kind of like, let me think of a good example here. Mm, I'm trying to think of a country, say France, where the the language of France is yeah, French, but people often know English. It would be like a Frenchman writing a book in English. Yeah, he knows it, but it's not his native language. It's not his normal. It's not what he goes home and talks to his wife in. So the language of the New Testament was a little bit foreign to the people that were writing in it, by and large. Aramaic and Hebrew were the everyday language. Hebrew was more of the religious language. Aramaic was the everyday language. So we have a lot of words that we see in the New Testament that are Hebrew or Aramaic. And they're there for good reason, because that's the normal language. Greek is just what the book was written in. So some examples of Hebrew and Aramaic words in the New Testament. Abba, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Rabbi, and do you remember this word, Raka? Don't say Raka if you're angry at your brother. That means empty-headed. That's Aramaic. So all of these words, Abba, Hosanna, Hallelujah, Rabbi, Raka, were Hebrew or Aramaic words written with Greek letters in the Greek New Testament. So Abba was one of those words that was Aramaic, and it was just written down with Greek letters so that when we see it, we're like, Abba, oh, that's not, you know, that's not English. That's not Greek. It's Aramaic. Abba just means father. It does not mean daddy. Daddy because guess how many words there are for father in Aramaic Anybody taking any guesses <laughs> There's just one It's Abba <laughs> So in English we have father dad daddy and then if you want to throw in other like um other languages that are commonly known padre uh, what's the word um yeah, I can't think of it. There's a couple of other like fatherly words. Papa? Did I say that one already? So okay, let me let me go through the list again. Papa, dad, daddy, father, padre. Okay. There's five that if somebody used that word in English, we would know what they were talking about. Even though Padre isn't English. We'd be like, Yeah, I know what you're saying. So that we can use those different words pop oh there's another one pop (laughs) so six we'll say six if you use any one of those words there's different connotations to those words right if I say father that sounds very formal um I don't I can't even think of a, a circumstance where I would say father unless I was maybe in court or talking to a judge or maybe like a very formal situation like you know meeting somebody famous or talking to the president where I probably felt felt intimidated and needed to be more formal that's the only place I would use father I usually use dad that's my go-to um, daddy is kind of the typical more maybe under 10 years old is when you typically hear daddy my boys are four and two so we're definitely still in daddy mode probably gonna be a while before they do anything other than daddy let's see if you use pop it's kind of got a very familiar sense kind of like a son who's maybe older but um, has a good relationship with his dad like they're just very comfortable that's what I get out of it so you can already see you get different senses from these different words they have different connotations they're used by different types of people But in Aramaic, there was only Abba. So that means that everybody that would talk about a father would have to use that one word. It didn't have multiple connotations, or rather, it had all of the connotations in one word. You can't separate them out because you couldn't divide them up between different words. Right? Does that make sense? No, it's just Aramaic for father or dad or daddy, but all of them. All right. So what we have when we're reading the New Testament, when we're reading Mark, and he's talking about Jesus calling God the Father, Abba, Father, what, we, what we're what we reading there is Father, Father, just in two different languages. It's Abba, Hopater, um, the word paternal, or Padre even, comes from that same root, pater. So... The next question you have to ask, if it, if it's just father, and he was also using the Greek word for father, so he knew he was just saying father, father, why did he say it? Why did Jesus say it? And why did Mark write it down? And why did Paul bring it back, back up again? Why was it important if there was no connotation about mm, what kind of sense it had, what kind of formality it had? Because There's not much difference in formality. right? If you only have one word, it's not super formal to use ABBA, and it's not super informal to use ABBA. It was used by children and by adults. That means that, yeah, it could have been familiar, it could have been comfortable to use ABBA, but it wasn't necessarily childish. One of the ways that um, this got mixed up This got confused is that modern day Hebrew speakers, that would be mostly people living in Israel, their children call their fathers Abba. That means that they borrowed and adopted the Aramaic word for dad or daddy from Aramaic into Hebrew and they still use it today so that if you go to Israel, you'll hear walking down the street, and a, a, a kid calling out to their dad, they'll call it, Abba, 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 in the same way that we'd hear kids today doing, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. But to English speakers, that made it sound childish. It made it sound loving and endearing. But that's pretty much the only word that Hebrew speakers have for it. There is another word in Hebrew for father. It's av. But because it is, um, it's just not used as much anymore. It's a more kind of biblical word almost. It kind of sounds King James in Hebrew. It has a kind of older sense to it. It's very formal. So you have one very formal King Jamesy way to refer to Father, and then you just have Abba, and that's it. So why? So we've explained why they didn't keep it in there but why did jesus say this and why did paul quote it well it was to evoke the image of jesus in the garden it was to bring us back to that idea of what kind of um position was jesus in what kind of how was he presenting himself to god was he demanding something of god or was he basically begging from God but as a trusting son. Paul was using Abba Father to make us think of Jesus in the garden as a trusting son, a loyal son, right? Does that make sense? He wasn't using it to make us think that Jesus was being clingy or childish. He was using it to help us remember that Jesus was loyal and trusting a a God that was worthy of that trust. All right, so we got that out of the way. Now we need to know, where did the idea of Daddy God come from if it's not exactly biblical? And we'll talk about why it's not exactly biblical because there's a little bit more to it. The whole idea, I was really surprised by this, by the way. I was like, really? One guy? The whole idea for Daddy God came from this one German theologian. Uh, His name was Joachim Jeremias. I had never heard of him before, but his name rung a bell and I didn't know if I was just thinking of Ravi Zacharias I don't know um but anyway in an article he wrote in 1971 he talked about Abba being the chatter of a small child so he was basically saying it's babbling Abba was like Abba 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 what children first learned when they first learned to talk and so it was babbling and so it's kind of like Jesus doing a kind of like really uh, babbling at God. I don't really get it. It's, it's a little bit weird to me. But that's what he was saying that Abba was like a babble, like a baby babble. And other scholars came out right after he wrote this article and were like, no, <laughs> not so much. There was only one Aramaic word for father, Abba. They didn't have any other choice. And then Joachim Jeremiah's was like, oh, okay, you're right, you're right. I I went a little bit too far with that. And he took it back. He took it back. But, you know, (laughs) ideas don't have to have many people behind them to stick around for very long. And this one has stuck around for a very long time, like 50 years now, where we have, like, I don't know. I feel like it's become really popular in the last five or ten years, Daddy God. I don't know so much before that. I don't remember hearing it before, say, five or ten years ago. But it all came about just from this one guy writing one article that said that Abba was kind of like baby babble. And calling God Daddy has always bothered me at least a little bit. But I don't think I ever thought through the logic of it. Why did it bother me? Um, What was okay about it? What was bad about it? That kind of thing. And I know the people that use it sincerely, not just for, um, to put on a mood or something. People that use it sincerely are using it to show their, their sincerity in their trust and devotion and affection for God. That it's, They want it to be a childlike dependency, a childlike trust and faith and love in God. And that's the good side of daddy. I never really liked it because it sounded too childish. Yeah, basically just childish to me. So I went through and I asked my husband, is there like, is there any way that you're okay with daddy? And he was just, you know, he gave me this look and clearly said, no, he does not like it. <laughs> and then I was like, but why? What, what is it about it? That's not okay. <laughs> What don't you like about it? And we started to list all of these different words that um, kind of defined how we felt about daddy God, just using that terminology and what it did and what it made us feel. And the first word that my husband came up with was cringy. <laughs> that it was just cringy. that it was just like, oh, don't do it. And I said, okay, how about immature? And he's like, Yes. And so the list we have for what does it make us think of or feel when we hear daddy or daddy God, and it's immature, emotional, infantile, and I thought, by extension, manipulative. And so I thought, okay, what do people want to be when they're saying this, and what is it (laughs) when they're saying this? And I think the difference is the difference between childish and childlike. We're told that we should have childlike faith, right? And that that's a really good thing. What is childlike faith? To believe in somebody without doubt and to humbly accept what they say without arguing with it, right? And I have a child that argues a lot, so it's it has been hard for me to really understand childlike faith because one of them does not have it and never did. Um, But when we say childlike faith and childlike, you know, approach to God, what we mean is trusting and curious and humble and forgiving that we give God the benefit of the doubt that we don't immediately suspect him of doing us wrong and being um spiteful and malicious that we don't assume those things about God that we assume good and that we trust him now that's what it should be <laughs> childlike is the good side of things but when i hear daddy god what i think of is childish which is emotional emotional meaning not having any self control emotions are fine, emotional, overly emotional, not having any self-control is the side I'm thinking of, dependent, but in like codependency kind of ways where it's too much dependent, where you can't even do anything by yourself because you don't want to and don't try to, kind of lazy, immature, irrational, demanding, selfish, needy, these are the kinds of childish things that Daddy God makes me think of. All right, so full disclosure it is a week or two after I finished recording the the rest of this podcast and I'm having to redo the ending because I was finding myself getting into the very thin ice dangerous territory of seeming to meddle in the idea or realm of people's worship of God and their relationship with God. And I was like, whoa, 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 I better stop that and re-record and make sure that I'm not messing in, uh, trying to be the marriage therapist with God and his bride, the church. So, basically, I wanted to reframe how I was talking about this, um, The point is that daddy God and language like that can really affect how we start to think about the freedom that we have and the um, maybe responsibilities or lack of responsibilities that we have in our relationship to God. Now, we do have full freedom with God that we can come to him however we want, right? Right but he is still god and he is still diver- deserving of our respect and he has full authority and all that stuff you know we got to you know take all the spiritual implications of all of our relationship with god and apply it to how we approach him so that we're not treating him like a genie or santa claus or any of those things right so what i find is that daddy god helps us to think really lazily about our relationship with God. That he can be, you know, um, older versions, like I said, Santa Claus, a genie, um, a vending machine that you kind of put money in or put prayers in and get something out, right? I think one of the newer ideas that we have of God is that of a therapist or a best friend that we can kind of just emotionally dump on and then move on with life, right? And so there's a fine line between being dependent on God in a good way, in a way that shows that we're relying on Him for direction and for salvation and for wisdom and for purpose and for identity and all of those things. Those are good things but then not branching off into lazy where we don't need to do anything at all, including work and serve and care about him or others. And um, it, it just seems a really dangerous territory that I think people really want an excuse to be lazy, and especially emotionally lazy, that if we can pawn off uh, responsibility for our emotions on somebody else we will and that goes for God too that if somebody else is willing to just hear all of our emotions and then we can just leave them just dump on them emotionally and then be done with them we we we, we don't mind doing that sometimes right and the point is that I think God is always willing to hear our emotions But if we don't then listen to Him and obey Him after releasing our emotions, we've missed the whole point of Abba Father. Because what Jesus did was release His emotions, tell God the truth, honestly portray what He was feeling and what He wanted in the situation, and then He went forward and obeyed by dying, by suffering, by being tortured. And if that doesn't say something about how Jesus saw Abba Father as somebody to be, um, somebody he could talk to, but also somebody that he had to obey no matter the cost. So if we just use daddy God as a way to emotionally release to God and then don't change, don't have any progress or further trust in God, or further obedience in God after doing that, then I think we've actually just avoided all of the spiritual implications of Abba Father as it is in the Bible. Jesus actually trusted and then moved on to obey into the most difficult situation of his entire life. And if we want to use Abba Father, if we want to use Daddy God, the way that it is biblically laid out, that should be the progression. An emotional release followed by drastic obedience. And the way I hear Daddy God used does not reflect that, you know? So I hope I haven't uh, (laughs) crushed any ideas that you might have had, crushed any hopes and dreams about Daddy God and how you could have used it An old coworker once told me that I was a dream crusher because I tend to be a little bit real, (laughs) too realistic. (laughs) I don't know. You can certainly use daddy God or daddy if you want to, but if you do, make sure it's paired up with drastic obedience and not just drastic emotional dependency, if that makes sense. All right. That's all I'm going to have for today. We're in a shorter episode, and yay, we finally made it. A shorter episode. So I hope you guys have a great day, and I'll see you all later. Bye.